Welcome to this season of signs at the wilderness. Last Sunday, Jesus laid hands on a few sick people and cured them and gave his disciples power to anoint with oil, spreading God's healing to even more in need of it. The Sunday before that, a woman with a chronic hemorrhage reached out and touched Jesus' clothes and was simultaneously healed, all while Jesus was on his way to bring a little girl back from death. Next Sunday, we will hear more stories about the healing power emanating from Jesus' very being, of the sick being brought to him on mats. Today, though, that rhythm of healing is on hiatus. Jesus' camel hair-clad cousin John is doing what prophets do, raising a ruckus in the court of the powerful, and folk who hear them are confused and gossip. Some were claiming that Jesus was John the Baptist raised from the dead, which to them explained Jesus' otherwise inexplicable miraculous powers. Others were saying that Jesus was Elijah, that Hebrew prophet who did not die, but was simply taken into heaven on a chariot of fire. Herod the king became startled when he heard about the possibility of John the Baptist being raised from the dead and empowering Jesus to perform signs of healing. Competing on Herod's fragile hold over social and political power in first century Palestine. See, Herod was what one would call a puppet king, a person from an occupied people placed over those occupied people by an emperor to keep the occupied people from mounting a revolution because someone who looked like them seemed like they were in power. Like other biblical tyrants, though, Herod had a shaky hold on power. Herod actually didn't have any power. The power was with the emperor in Rome. Herod's skin was thin, and his moral center, unfortunately, was even thinner. Displayed by his inner conflict during his flashback to his final moments with John before his brutal execution. Kind of reminds you of Pontius Pilate, the waffling he does before he decides that Jesus finally needs to be crucified. The narrator alludes to the rumor that it was Herodias, Herod's sister-in-law turned wife, that's for another time, who ultimately made the decision to have John killed, especially since Herod actually respected and protected John, says the text who confused Herod because he found, even though he was confused, John's words enjoyable. This is very convoluted, messy, as gospel stories often are. 
Herod appears to be a mix of loyalties, being pulled in a number of different directions, taking the counsel of the most recent person in the room, a trait that if not reined in can result in violence and brutality. What if the last person in the room has an ax to grind with a person I don't understand, but I enjoy listening to? What if I am easily swayed by the pressures of conflicting public opinions? What if my skin is so thin that I feel more loyalty to a vain promise than to a living, breathing human being? These are the ethical questions that linger just beneath this text, haunting the hearers of this story for millennia. Haunting because each of us holds within us Herod-like tendencies from time to time. I won't take a show of hands. I'll just confess myself. Acting not from a place of moral centeredness, but from a place of indecision and humanity and indiscretion. Those moments or seasons in which we are led by our desire to be liked, our desire to please other people. But I don't think that that's what the narrator is doing in this text. I don't think the narrator is moralizing. I don't think the narrator wants us to feel bad. I think she, this narrator, or whoever wrote this gospel, is helping those early Christian communities wrestle with the precariousness of who they were and who they followed. Following Jesus in first century Palestine was risky business. Notice, if you will, the opening snippet of this text. Herod gets spooked because Jesus was growing more well-known and Herod saw similarities between the two cousins and, you know, John the Baptist and Jesus were cousins. And Herod thinks to himself, this Jesus certainly couldn't be John the Baptist. I thought I had him beheaded. And so what we get in this gospel is actually a flashback to the time John ha- Herod has John beheaded. For Jesus' earliest followers, the prospect of losing their lives for the sake of the crucified and risen Christ was a very real threat and could happen if a ruler was in a sour mood, not unlike numerous black Americans who lived under the looming reality of lynching in the first half of the 20th century because of the unpredictability of evil crowds, of extrajudicial killings, or mothers who sit their daughters down and say, it doesn't matter where you are, you must be vigilant at all times because of the constant threat of violence and assault that women receive disproportionately in our culture. In both instances, the people warning know the cost of being who they are. 
of existing in a world, in a body, or with a racial or gender identity that the powers that be see as expendable, subject to a thin-skinned ruler's whims. So life for these early Christians was very precarious. The counterintuitive dimension of all of this and the good news, if you will, in all of this is God's identification with the losers, with the beheaded, the lynched, the harassed, the exploited, not with the powerful, the thin-skinned ruler, more easily swayed by a compelling dance performance by his daughter than the humane treatment of a prophet. You heard that right. That's where we'll find God, with folk like John the Baptist, folk who find themselves at the edges, at the margins, the people Jesus was so intertwined with that even when those people died, people thought they were Jesus. Those are the people whose side God is on. The people in power thus got nervous. They got nervous because that's what happens when you have thin skin. And the people who were willing to challenge the excesses of power with their very way of being in the world are the ones God is with. And it may not seem like it, but that is good news. And when I was thinking about this sermon this week and studying and talking to friends about it and fretting, as my grandmother would say, especially since we're in the season of signs in the wilderness and we're thinking about you know, the gospel according to Mark and all the signs that Jesus performs. I began to think, maybe this is a sign. Maybe John's beheading is a sign of sorts. That people who are doing the right thing often get cut down prematurely. And we can name them. That's what the 60s was all about. People doing the right thing getting cut down because they were gaining headway. And that's a sign of something I don't know, I don't understand, but it's worth our attention and it's certainly worth our prayers. Amen.